Welcome to Love Bites, the rosé wine of podcasts, here to make your day a little brighter. Love Bites is a safe, loving and friendly space with each guest sharing their experiences without judgment. I hope this conversation inspires you and offers a different perspective. Most importantly, I hope that you feel we've kept you company. Today's guest is Deidre McGuire. Deidre is a world-class mind wellness specialist, a life coach, author, and speaker. She is the creator of the Stress Solution System. You may already know Deidre. She is huge on social media. My mother is her biggest fan. She also appears on U105 with Frank Mitchell. He has deemed her the mistress of mindset, and I would tend to agree. She gets people happier because she knows that happiness is a skill. Through Deidre's fast and effective transformational work, her clients see, then change their patterns of thinking so they can take control of their emotions. They let go of their limiting beliefs and they live the life they want. Her personal journey has become her professional passion. Today she has the proof because she is the proof. In the last 15 years, Deidre has worked with thousands of people all over the world and facilitates transformation at the deepest level. This podcast was deeply emotional for both Deidre and I. She opens up beautifully and I know that you're going to find this conversation so inspiring. Deidre McGuire, the woman, the legend. (laughs) Laura Rooney. I have wanted to speak to you for such a long time. Okay. When my mother, we Kathy, talks about somebody in such high regard, I know they're a good one. And my mother got on to you during lockdown. I don't know what you were doing in, in lockdown, but you were doing something epic. And my mother talked about you like you were a close personal friend so let's say I was having it was lockdown I'd taken on pedley from my work I was drinking gin every day I don't get me wrong I was actually having a laugh and I needed the reset is this what you were actually doing well I came back I came came back from Dubai and I took on pedley my job in PR shut down in lockdown and I took that opportunity to be at home with my mom in Ireland had a ball, but there was definitely days that I felt like a dip. And mom would say, have you been watching Deidre Maguire on Facebook? Deidre Maguire says this, Deidre Maguire says that. And I thought, who the hell is Deidre Maguire? And she'd always send me things um, on your Facebook group right. and different, uh, you know, lives that you did and different musings and things like that. My mom holds you in such high regard. Then fast forward a year later, uh-huh. I'm listening to U105 with Frank Mitchell. Uh-huh. I hear you come on and I just thought, oh my God, my mom was right. She <laughs> is absolutely amazing. Maybe you recall this um, episode, maybe you don't. It was you talking about there was something happening and you really wanted to go and you couldn't find someone to go with you. Okay. Usually your sister would go. And you went on your own and you talked about feeling empowered in your own company and how being on your own, you don't necessarily have to be lonely per se. Mm -hmm. And that's by the by the topic of the conversation. 
but you hooked me there and then. Then I sent you a message on Instagram and said, I just heard you on U105. You were absolutely brilliant. And by the way, my mom's your biggest fan. And mm-hmm. um, then you and I met, I invited you uh, for a coffee in Newcastle. Uh-huh. And then we met in person and I was like, oh my God, I love this woman. Oh. You're literally <laughs> everything that I aspire to be. So that's a really long-winded way of saying, it's a pleasure to have you on Love Bites. Um, thank you for coming. I am... Um very honoured and very privileged and very blessed to be here and it's so lovely to hear that because um, you know for a very very long time one of the biggest patterns of thinking that I was running was that nobody likes you you're 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 useless you're pathetic uh, you're a failure you're uh, and it's so this is so interesting right so I was talking to a girl yesterday a good friend of mine a girl called Catherine Mernon who is in the same field of business but very different and it was so interesting to me when we were talking about you know um, you know business and clients and 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 she said to me dearie have you ever considered this was so weird to me. She said to me, have you ever considered that, you know, that people actually might be nervous around you? And I'm looking at her going, what? What are you talking about? And she said there was an event where she had, we had been put at the same table. And she said, I actually felt nervous. And I thought, what would you feel nervous for? Me, we, me, Deirdre McGuire, we, Deirdre McGuire, right? And she said, because, you know, you've got it. You've got it together and everything. And I'm telling you now that if you think that I've got it together, that's great. That's great. Go with that. You know, um, it is interesting because I was listening back to your podcast and uh, somebody was saying somewhere about the advantages of being, um, of doing um, heavy weightlifting. And I do that. I'm a, I describe myself as a CrossFit athlete. And I didn't know when I took that on the benefits of it. Um, one of the ex- most exciting parts of my life is that, you know, that I'm, I'm actually proud. I'm at this point proud to say that I'm actually 67. And why would you be proud of that, Deirdre? Because for so long, I tortured myself. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't thin enough, I wasn't, I just wasn't enough. And today I say, and it's one of the things you hear me saying, I've never been older, I've never been fitter, and I've done marathons, I've done lots of stuff. I've never been older, I've never been fitter, and I've never been happier. Because I know that happiness is a skill, you know? And the good news about that is that you can actually learn it because I know what it's like to be bloody miserable, to be, to, to loathe yourself, to loathe yourself so much. You know, I know that feeling. And I think that's, you know, my why, what is my why? My why, and I worked it out and I figured it out and I finally got it. And I share it with people, I share it with clients. I say, take it, use it yourself. You know, to evolve as my best self so that others may do the same. Okay, so the evolve is is very specific. It's very specifically chosen because if I wanted to be my best self, forget that because you, you can never be your best self. And the presumed truth behind that is that you've got to be perfect 
And that's what I spent my life trying to do. And perfection is the lowest form of living. It's the lowest form of living because it's a very sophisticated way of beating yourself up because you can never get there. So you can never be happy. You can never be happy. You can never be contented. You can never be peaceful because you've got to be perfect. But this was a game changer for me. If I evolve, evolving means you're constantly learning. Okay, so this time yesterday I felt like shit. This time yesterday was all over. This time yesterday I felt crap. But the difference is that I can keep with that. I can keep company with those feelings that I know that it will change. I know that there's something else that I need to learn or that I want to learn. Because if you're on an evolutionary journey, it's always changing. It's always growing. You're at the next chapter. You're at the next part of the adventure. It doesn't always feel like an adventure. There's times when it feels like, yeah, you're useless. Drudgery. Okay, <laughs> right. Okay, so, you know, take my makeup off, let my roots grow out. It's a bit, it's a different story. Okay. And, but when you, when you actually change your inner identity, and I, I don't even mean change it. I, I rephrase, that's not right. When you actually access who you really are, that's what my work is about, access who you really are, because that other bit is the story. Who you really are is beautiful. Who you really are is, is perfect. Who you really are is a diamond. Call it a child of God. Call it life. Call it whatever you want. But who you really are in all your imperfections, which really is your evolution story, then you're, you're okay. You're on a winner. And... I, I could probably get quite emotional, but I'm okay with emotions. Because to hear, well, it is emotional, it is common, I can feel it common. You know, to hear that I've got goosebumps, a woman like your mum, and we were just talking about this before we came on air, that, you know, I'm actually older than your mum, I could be your mum. That to hear someone who, who heard me and saw me, and that she, she, got she got me you know she could see it that is priceless to me so that is you know and I haven't even met your mama yet but I'm sure I will um, that is um, what part of what my message is to people if you're feeling like shit if you feel like crap if you are your own worst enemy if your inner dialogue is that kind of crap that diatribe of you're never enough. You're never, ever going to be enough, no matter what you do, no matter what you earn, no matter who you're with, no matter what you look like. You're never, ever going to be enough. What my story is, is that there, there is another way. Wait you hear this. Wait do you hear what you can do and when you can do it differently. And I pass the baton on. Sure. You know, I'll say, well, this is what I've done. Took me 67 years to get there. But here, I'll fast track you. Take this and you can run with the baton a wee bit quicker. And then we all evolve. We're all one humanity. We're all on one team. And when you think like that, you know, 
when you think like that, then the quality of your life will definitely, the quality of all our lives will definitely improve. Amazing. Yeah. You've, you've said so much there and I just wanted to pull so much mm -hmm. out of what you've just said. Something that really resonates with me is that perfection is the lowest, the lowest form. The absolute lowest. And I've definitely felt fallen prey to my own perfectionist tendencies. You might call it perfectionism, you might call it paralysis analysis, whereby everything needs to be, all your ducks need to be in that row. Everything needs to be perfect. And you're waiting for the everything just to be absolute perfection. Perfection doesn't exist. So what do you do? You don't do the thing. You you wait you do months, years, and you feel like you've you've referenced it in your your um, videos. The world doesn't hear your voice mm -hmm. because you are so entrenched in perfectionism and everything having to be a certain way and everything having to align and the stars so rarely align the way we want and we just end up living a very mediocre life because we're so afraid of putting ourselves out there until everything is such a way that we deem it the perfect springboard. Well it's been termed quiet desperation. Yeah. I know you know my story but for those who may not know my story um, 22 years ago, my father took his own life and he was 72. He had his ducks in a row. Okay. So he had, he had a wife who loved him. I'm the eldest of five children. We all loved him. He had at that stage, he had five grandchildren. He had a successful business. Tick, 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 tick. But the hurts and the pains from the past were so still there that that's what drove him in the end to go into a river, take his own life. You know, I had made it my mission to save my dad and nothing had worked. So when he died, I had failed. And that was the lowest point on my life. And actually I was talking about this the other day and what I say is classically, if I'm telling my story, which I have crafted to, you know, to help people, I would say that what if the lowest point is actually the turning point, okay? Um, and it is interesting that when I was sharing this with a client the other day and I remember the feeling that actually when my father died was not actually the lowest point what was actually the lowest point was when I was trying to fix him. Try in the end, you know, a tortured soul. He he used alcohol. He was using alcohol in the end to meet alter. And I was trying to get him sober. I was trying to get him to an AA meeting. I was trying to do all that. And I remember finally getting him to one. And that day, I was as high as if I was on heroin. I can remember the feeling, this is it, I've got him sorted. I'm gonna get it fixed. I'm gonna fix him. And that'll fix our family, because that was my job. I felt like that was my job. And uh, so we, I got him to go, I got him to a meeting, it was on the Lisburn Road in Belfast, and I got him to a meeting. And, um, you know, the, this guy who was, the AA guy who was taking him into the meeting, I wanted to go in with him because I wanted the truth to be known. Daddy was going to tell his story, but I would tell the truth because I felt like I was the only one who knew the truth. And 
the guy said to me, no dairy is not for you. You go up the road, get a cup of tea and uh, we'll come back at 10 o'clock. And I remember thinking, you know, when you think back to what your thinking was like then, you know, the reality, you, what your reality was. My reality was then that everything was fine and this guy was going to, except that he was drinking a bit too much, and that this was going to, he was going to sort Daddy out by 10 o'clock. By 10 o'clock it was all going to be done and dusted. Daddy was going to come out, he would stop drinking, and I would take him home, and we'd go back to our normal lives. And, you know, um, at the I went back up at 10 o'clock, picked my father up. Uh, actually, my father walked out past me, and uh, Pat, uh, the guy who had helped me to get Daddy there, um, I, he said to me, um, I said to him, I said, well, what about Daddy? And he said, um, Deirdre, I think your Daddy has a wee bit to go before he's ready. And that was the lowest point in my life. Three years later, my father was dead. But that was the point where I thought, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. And, and he said to me, what about you, Deirdre? And I was like, me? Me? What about me? If he would stop drinking, I'd be okay. And that is classic what I now know is codependency, which means your sense of well-being depends on somebody else. And today, I am very happy to report that my sense of well-being belongs to me, is also my responsibility, okay? It's my responsibility. So I could have justified anger. I could say, well, Laura, you behaved like this towards me, so I'm very justified in being angry. If you hadn't said that to me, I wouldn't be angry. And I'm very bloody angry. And that wasn't a nice thing to say. And you shouldn't have said that. And that's justified anger. And that's the biggest danger of all. That's the biggest danger of all because I'm giving you control. What you say to me, I can't control. What I say to me on the inside is where I have real control. And that's what I learned way back then, all those years ago. That was my lowest point and that's what I know. That's what I know a lot of people who come to me are at. They may not think they're at it, it may not, you know, I've got the people who are in crisis and I can deal with that, that's okay. But other people, it's actually more dangerous because if you don't hit the lowest point, you'll never change anything. You'll just continue your perfectionism and trying to do it and trying to do it and trying to do it and until you die and you ne nothing ever changes. But when you know that there is another way that you can, there is help out there. there. There are people like, I'm not the only one in the world, there are people like me who have hit their, their lowest point, who know what the pain feels like, who, who change what you're doing on the inside so that the outside gets easier. It's easy for me to go to the gym, to eat healthily, to get enough sleep, 
to take care of myself, to honour myself, it's much, much easier for me to do that because I've changed what's on the inside. And the payoff is, you know, that you can, you know, look okay on the outside and be content. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You have led such a colourful life, mm. lots of ups and downs. Mm -hmm. Your father taking his own life. Mm. You said that was your lowest point. Mm. Was that also the point of change for you? You've obviously done a lot of work in self-development. Mm -hmm. Was that the starting point or has this always been on your radar? No, not at all. No, God, no. I was a party animal. <laughs> I was good at drinking, good at smoking. If I wasn't doing that, I was Weight Watchers. You know, I was, uh, and it's not, there's nothing wrong with Weight Watchers, but, you know, weight loss programs, um, I was doing that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, no, I've been there, done it, and got all those T-shirts. And I was funny enough, I was just sharing, and I have a private Facebook group, you know, a community of people called the Freedom Community. And, uh, you know, I was sharing with them the other day, you know, one of, one of my memories had come up and it was about waking up naked beside a guy that I didn't even know kind of thing. Well, I did actually know him, just, I did know him, but I didn't know that I knew him. And, uh, and I realised when I was, you know, just how far I'd come, how free I am now, because I've left guilt and shame behind pretty much. And, uh, but that, no, I used everything to cope with, like my father didn't just wake up one day and decide he was going to end his life. That is the final part of what everything else that he had tried. He had tried everything to feel better. So I was reared in that. You know, there was a lot of chaos, there was a lot of anger, there was a lot of hurt, there was a lot of physical pain, there was a lot of lots and lots, and there was sexual abuse, there was all kinds of things in that mix. And that was the soil that I was planted in. You know, if you imagine me coming in as a wee seed, here's the soil you're going to be planted in. So I had all kinds of things going on. And uh, so I had normalised it all, so I didn't know there was anything wrong. But it was the day that when my father... When, that, when Pat said to me, your daddy's not ready yet, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And I thought, I've got to do something different. So, yeah, that was it. Amazing. So the lowest point in your life that you referenced when your father, when you had left um, the meeting with your father that evening, mm -hmm. what followed? So that was, I can go to that point in my mind in a heartbeat. I can see Pat and him saying, I used to be not, I couldn't tell the story without crying at that point. So that represented the, I just cannot do this anymore. And he said to me, what about you? And I went, what about me? And he, he told me his story. And he had been on his third suicide attempt and he woke up in a hospital in London and his mother was not at the end of the bed. Now, what had happened was his mother had found Al-Anon, which is a recovery program for people who are impacted by people who drink. Okay. Now, I choose not to use the word alcoholic anymore. Back in the day when I went to Al-Anon and they told me that my father had a disease and that it was such a relief to me because the insanity of alcohol abuse uh, was such, and people who have lived with it know what it's like, um, 
that I was so relieved. It's like I work with people now and they get, when they, as soon as they get a diagnosis, they think, oh, that's great. I've got fibromyalgia or I've got arthritis or I've got, I've got this. I've got, I know what's wrong with me. And I understand that because I um, was so relieved to hear that daddy had a disease, that he wasn't doing these crazy things for badness, that he actually had a disease. Um, on my personal journey, I now believe that alcohol abuse, uh, you know, drug abuse, uh, food abuse, Facebook abuse, overusing anything like that is actually a coping skill. It's the only coping skill. It's the best one you have. I've done them all. You know, it's the best one you have to help you to deal with the feelings that you don't know how to express. You know, you don't know how to cry. You don't, you apologize if you cry or else you never cry. I was working with a client this morning, you know, and she started to cry and she apologized. And I said, these are tears of joy. You know, I don't say to you, stop going to the toilet, stop eating. It's a bodily function. It's there for a reason. So it's, this is so important to me. And so back then when I hit that lowest point, I was listening. And then this is what Pat said to me. He got into recovery. He was, you know, he was abusing alcohol. He found AA because his mom was in Al-Anon and Al-Anon is for family and friends of people who are, who are using alcohol. And uh, so he, what he said to me was, he said, today, he said, I have a beautiful wife. I have a beautiful home. I have a beautiful son. The mother that I tortured every week, I now take my son to visit. But he said, Deirdre, if I lost all of that, I would still have myself. And to this day, I remember that feeling. There was a part of me had no idea what he was talking about. What are you talking about? And the other part of me knew exactly what he was talking about. So I knew that I was done. The part of me that knew my soul, my essence, who I am, is done with this stuff, this pain. I need to start taking care of me. I'll do what he says. So I knew that I would, that he knew more than I did. So I thought, I'll do what he says. And he says to me, Deirdre, go find a 12-step meeting. Go to Al-Anon. Now, I was 10 years in 12-step recovery. It saved my life. And we, we would make jokes about it. People don't know about Al-Anon. Everybody knows about AA. Everybody knows about the alcoholic verticomas. But little do they know the impact that living in that insane pain has on the people around them. I know this today, that's why I'm good at helping people. Because I know that sometimes if you if you are hit, as I was, I was hit as a child, but I the, that wasn't, you can stick it. When you're taking it, you can stick it. But when you're watching somebody, I can't even, I can't even go there. When you're watching somebody else being beaten, that's far worse because you're powerless, you're helpless. So you can imagine that if you're living with someone who is self-destructing, someone you love is self-destructing in front of you, okay, and you can't do anything about it, 
you need to learn skills to help you to deal with that. And that's what I do today. You know, you could put that same principle into anything. You know, when you, when you can't change what somebody else is doing, you're on, a, you're on a mission to nowhere. You can't do that. It's not possible. But what you can do is change how you respond to what's happening. And when you can do that, how come, like one of my biggest heroes is Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was 25 years in jail. You know, you know how did he manage that? How did he cope with that? How did he turn that around and ultimately become a leader? He did it before these same principles. He looked in here. He took control of what he could control. And, you know, it's not being taught. This is not being taught. But thank God there are enough people who are, you know, I consider this a movement that those of us who are awake, we are wakening up. I wakened up. And now my job is to daily help other people to waken up to who you really are. And when you wake up to who you really are, let's get this party started. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it, Deirdre. (laughs) And thank you so much for sharing that experience. I can't even imagine, if I'm honest. And I also feel very ignorant as well to the Mm Al-Anon support Uh movement um, community. I have a friend that mentioned it once. Uh And you were actually only the second person that I've ever heard mention Al-Anon and I don't know whether people keep it to themselves or people simply don't know about it but I have had friends over the years that have had parents or grandparents Mm -hmm. who have been deeply and tragically affected by alcohol Mm -hmm. and I don't even think they know about Al-Anon. No they don't you see because it's 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 like you know if someone's got cancer you could, and I, I mean, I've actually had cancer, but if someone's had cancer, you know, the, you can understand why cancer is the focus. If someone is self-destructing, you know, there's all the drama and all the mayhem of that. And the other people become the caretakers. We, we take care of it. And if you can, I remember the first time I ever had this awareness of it, it was actually at a meeting. And, you know, it, on a very practical level, if the person is drunk, okay, that person is drunk, they actually don't remember a lot of what happened. But you're stone cold. Have you ever been out? You've never been gone off the drink and you're out and your mates are all full and they're like, oh, and they're all out there and you're going, this is so boring. Melters. Because you're sober yes. and you can see everything that's going on. So that's what it was like, you know, when daddy would do things right and they were awful and all kinds of things. I can remember all kinds of stuff. I don't need to talk about it. But when the insanity of the of alcohol abuse is there, but the next day he he doesn't know, he doesn't ask because he's so shut down. It's too shameful. He feels bad about it. He doesn't want. He never said that at the time, but I know, right? So when he's doing that, he doesn't know anything about it. But you know everything. And you just keep carrying that. And you're carrying it. And the weight gets heavier and heavier. And I remember um, a few times I was asked to speak at conferences in 12 separate conferences. And the men, the AA, there would be mostly men in the AA. It's not like that today, but back in the day, there would have been more men than women. And there would have been more women in Al-Anon, okay, than AA. And 
the AA men, they would call Al-Anon the military wing. This is the military wing of the 12-step movement, okay? And it was a kind of a tongue-in-cheek derogatory comment about the women because the poor men who were, you know, the poor, poor men, they had the disease and the women, you know, they, you know, they weren't as bad. No, we're not, you know, we're not fighting for places here, you know, who has the monopoly over pain? Because anybody who's lived with it knows the debilitating pain of watching somebody. Um, so it, I think you're right. It's actually, it's so important that, um, that you know, Al-Anon is, you know, that pe more people know about it. It is a very powerful movement. Um, like I say, I have moved on. Uh, I have evolved in, in, on my journey. I really believe that, um, like I say, alcohol, drugs, sugar, chocolate, food, work, fill in the blank, can be an addictive coping skill. So, and the good news is, it's not a disease. The good news is that now there may be people who'd be listening to this and think they would argue with that. But my experience of it is, and I have worked with many people who have used all kinds of drugs and whatever, and I can help them to change their thinking. And when you change the thinking, you don't need the coping skill. You don't need it. You know, I don't, I don't actually use alcohol at all anymore. And there are many things that I don't use anymore because I've developed an inner peace that helps me to live a fully expanded, enjoy my life. Amazing. Mm. Tell me about the work. Where did the work truly begin and how has it evolved? Where are you at with it now? Like, what do you want the world to know about Deirdre Maguire and the work that you can do? Well, I can change people's lives. I can, you know, and that, that sounds egotistical, actually. I'm just listening to that. That's not what you want to say, Deirdre. What you want to say is, what I want to say is that I can help you. I can show you how to change your own life. Okay? I can, I can support you. I can hear you. I can see your pain. That's what I do. That's, you know, all I have to do in a lot of cases is actually say, I see you. I hear you. Because we weren't heard or understood, and then what I what I actually do is I help people get happier. I show them how to see, then change the patterns of thinking that are blocking their emotional intelligence, okay, and blinding them from who they really are, so that they can get the results they actually want. What What do you want? You know, what do you want your life to look like? And when you clear this stuff out, you can actually... Um, so I do that by one-on-one. -on -one. I do one-to-one -one private. I do uh, group uh, work. I do corporate work. I, do, I have a freedom community, which is um, my um, private Facebook group. So you can come and get vulnerable. We meet every Thursday on Zoom. And, uh, you know, we record it. You can watch it back. You, you know the, the, that model. And um, I also... Uh, I do retreats so people can come for a total immersion. They come stay at my home and they stay with the me. beautiful home in Newcastle um, County down at the foot of the morns. It's idyllic. It's absolutely beautiful. And people come stay with me. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm listening very intently, listening to their pattern of thinking. Then I pull it out, find it. We look at it, change it, give them skills so that they can go away and design their life design it, you know, a life 
by design, not default. Mm -hmm. And I can just imagine how powerful those retreats are, even a one-on-one session. If my mother was blown away by you after watching a 10-minute snippet on Facebook, I can just imagine the power that you have, but more empowering somebody to to bring it out of themselves. And I saw your work very briefly in action before we went on the podcast. And there was a friend who was read a message that she was annoyed by. Mm -hmm. Triggered. Triggered. Mm -hmm. And some people, if they were lazy in their advice, would jump to the agreement of that friend just to make life easier. Yes. Yes. You were, you'd have every right to be annoyed at her. Sure, she was bloody awful with what you said. You, Deidre McGuire, said, right, tell me why. Why did that annoy you that she said that? Well, that made me feel like this. Why? And you picked it apart, picked it apart, and actually reframed it in the sense that that person has triggered you. Why they have triggered you is not their fault. They're off living their own life. And you need to maybe think about why that has. Well, I wouldn't even say, I don't even use the word why, because why is a dangerous word. Okay. Because that goes into analysis. So we give meaning to everything. So you get the phone call, you get the text, you give the meaning to it. Remember that I am giving the meaning to it, whatever it is. I use this example, you know, um, I was using it on the radio the other day when I was with, with Frank and uh, the producer Robert said to me afterwards, he said, that was really good. And it's really, it helps people understand. So people come to my house and my kitchen, they sit at my kitchen table and my kitchen is glass, floor to ceiling glass. It's a beautiful panoramic view of the Mourne Mountains. So everybody that comes in says something different. So the uh, farmer comes in, as happened. I remember this young guy was suicidal and he came from Ballymena. He came in and he looked at it and he said, um, who owns those cattle? And, he's, and I said, how much are they worth? And we had a whole discussion about it. So he saw the cattle. So then the American comes in and goes, oh my God, it's so green. How did you get it to be so green? So they just see. The hillwalker comes in and goes, have you been to the top of Donard? Uh, yes, I have many times. And so you see, we don't see the world. We perceive the world and we perceive the world based on our own past references, our cultural conditionings, our parents, our school, our education, our country, all of that. That is all in what I call the black box recorder. It's all stored in there. So the view is the same, but everybody sees it differently. And I always tell the story about this girl who came in one day and she just looked at it and she went, that must be awful for you living here. And I was looking at it thinking, now what? With, I always, I'm looking at it with curiosity. There's no judgment. I'm going, what does she see in there that I can't actually see? And she said to me, is that a pig farm? And I went, it actually is. You're right. And I said, God, she knows her stuff. I said, yeah, that is. That's a pig farm. And she was a vegetarian. So she was making up pictures in her head of pigs being slaughtered and, and all kinds of things. And... And that's true. They do slaughter pigs over there. So yeah, she was justified in her sadness. But look what she was missing. She was missing the mountains. It's it's spectacular. And because her focus was on the pain of life. So you get what you focus on. And what you focus on, you get more of. So what if you could change? And this is not minimizing pain that people have been in. I know 
pain. I know pain. I didn't, we didn't even get to the cancer story, okay? I know pain, okay? I'm not saying I don't, but what I'm saying is that there is another way. You can change your thinking. You can change those past references, and that's another podcast where you go into the detail of how you can do it, but you can do it. And when you change that, when you change what you're holding inside, what you see outside changes. Nothing's different, but everything has changed. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I just thought it was a, I thought when we were all having the conversation, my mouth was just on the floor, listening to you, how you just reframe everything. And it almost takes away that victim mentality that sometimes we can have. Cause we're like, she did that to me or she said that. Actually, a lot of the time we attribute the meaning to that thing that causes us such pain. And we're, we essentially create the pain ourselves. And I just thought it was really clever what you did and really, really thoughtful as well. So you and I are going to do some work together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited. I can't wait, woman, to get at you. The first time that we met, you started to already, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm always curious. Yes. I'm, I'm going, how is she doing And the first, the first time you, you were doing that. And the other day you and I met and you were so kind in creating a wonderful opportunity for me and you sent me a message and you were like Laura this is basically let it out and I should have been so excited because it's an amazing opportunity that you're presenting oh, you to me. Oh you mean 105? Yeah okay. an amazing amazing opportunity that you're presented and the first thing that I could think of was fear. Mm-hmm. I was not excited whilst I was exceedingly flattered oh, yeah? and grateful mm-hmm. I felt oh my God, that brought up so much in me and it made me feel afraid. My heart started pumping in my chest. I started my dry, my head was awash with so many feelings. And I thought, what is it that I am doing that makes me go back into this little box of smallness or self-sabotage. And if I look throughout my life, I've done that consistently. And I know that some people would think that either I'm ungrateful or flaky or whatever they may perceive it to be. And if I'm honest, a lot of the time it's a fear. A lot of the time it's a feeling of inadequacy. It's a feeling of trying to engineer my own smallness to keep me small and protected. And that's something that I would love to work on with you. Um, I feel like... You've, that excites me. I yeah, like, I know it does. I, I know, I know I it's like music, it's like music to your ears. And... Thank you for that opportunity, by the way. And I, I know I didn't come back like, oh my God, that's class. I was like, no, okay. no, everybody goes, run away. <laughs> and so and um, we're going to do the work together. How is that going to work with you and I? Like typically, if I was to come do with something like what this. What would physically what, happen? Yes. What would we do? So what I have is, what I how I've done it, I've consolidated it all down into um, um, what I call the five hours to freedom, 30 day program. So it's five hours of work over 30 days. Okay. So it's a one and a half hour session 
A week later, a one and a half hour session, a week after that, a one hour session, and a week after that, a one hour session. Okay. And also there's a whole wrap around. You get me for 30 days. I've Perfect. got your back. I'm supporting you. You know, I know what it's like. I know it's terrifying. I remember the first time I filled in forms, I was terrified. So what I do is ask you to fill in forms. Then I start to, I'm looking and checking for patterns. And then you just come and sit at my kitchen table. It's, you know, it's not an office. It's not a, you know, you're not in a, a, you know, a therapist's chair or anything like that. We sit at the kitchen table. It's deliberately, it was, it was accidental in the beginning, but actually unconsciously I was actually setting it up because the primary concern of every single one of us is safety. Perfect. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> so I will do that. We will work through it. And then what happens is we do the first one and a half hours and then uh, you will go away looking at the world in a different way, but we're recalibrating. And you go away, I've got your back. I'll be in touch with you. I say, okay, okay. And you feel great. And then you come back again. We, you're not going to give it all up to me in the first. You've been protecting this for years. Okay. So you're not going to give it all to me in the first session. But you're starting to trust the process. Yes. And you're starting to trust me. And that's, that's why I am the kind of person I am. Because I know what it's like to be really scared. Oh, Deirdre, thank you. Well, you're going to come back anyways um, after we've done the work and then we can review it. Uh, it'll be, I cannot wait. You will not know yourself, woman. I'm telling you that. Get ready for change. And I've got your back. I know you I'm do. with you the whole way, Pat. I know you do. Now for my favourite part of the podcast, Love Bites Recommends. I asked each guest, including myself, what brings them joy? What are they loving? It can be a book, a movie, a podcast, anything at all. Deidre, what are you loving at the minute? Loving being here with you. Besides okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, what am I loving at the minute? Oh, this might be sad, but I love going to CrossFit. Okay. I you love look it. phenomenal. I and I don't want to focus it. too much on people's physicalities, but you are 67 mm-hmm. and you are a right. <laughs> <laughs> you are absolutely stunning, but you look really fit as well. I love it. Like I was in the gym yesterday evening um, with uh, Mark Toner, with my nephew of the Mark Toner podcast and the breath work and everything else. And he did. And I was deadlifting. Oh my God. And I was just doing it and doing it and doing it. And uh, what did I do? I don't know. I think I did 65 or something yesterday. And I've never done it before. And the other, I'm the oldest one there. Okay. And you go uh, down to Newcastle, you do your, do your nephew's gym. The, yeah, it's actually in Castwell. Okay. It's actually okay. in and uh, I'm the oldest one there. And I went from, you know, I remember I lo- I went on a diet before I went to it. You know that one? You know, you have to lose I the weight before you go to the gym. And then I'll go I to the that. gym. Yes. And now I, it's just, I absolutely love it. Half the time I don't understand the word. I don't know what they're saying, but it doesn't matter because I just love it. Love it. And when did you get into CrossFit? Through Mark Toner, uh, my nephew. And it all leads back to the stuff you know um he went to australia a few years ago well it's a long time now he went to australia found this and uh, i don't know if he found it in australia but he was in australia and he had a vision of bringing this to ireland you know keep fit we were all in the pub at that stage like there was nobody doing keep fit here very very few people if you were doing keep fit you were odd 
now it's kind of like you're on if you're not. You really, you know, and that's brilliant. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I honestly think I never would have got inside a CrossFit box, they call them boxes, um, if it hadn't been for my nephew. So, but there is a sacred synchronicity to life. And if anybody's watching this and they're my age or whatever, and they think I couldn't do that, or younger, a lot younger, and thinking I couldn't do that, you know, drop that story, drop the story, drop the story. And, you know, I'm, I'm a CrossFit athlete. I call myself a CrossFit and athlete. you look like a CrossFit athlete? Because I know what that tells me. And I'm telling myself, I'm giving myself an inner identity of that. And actually, it starts to happen. I'm starting to look like an athlete. Do you know, physical exercise, it just has such a profound effect. And mm -hmm. for me, when I'm in the gym, that is the ultimate form of self-care. I want to eat better when I'm at the gym. Yeah. I've got a more positive outlook. And a few days of not going, do I feel it in my body? Absolutely. But I feel it so much in my mind. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think exercise is the best thing. And you you posted a video recently about um, doing your CrossFit, your ice baths and things. Mm -hmm. Do you absolutely love doing them? Not always, but it's how you feel after. And it's having that self-love and discipline to do it, knowing that you're going to feel a million dollars after. Um, so, I'm, do you know what? I'll have to get down and do the... the when I'm doing the um, the work with you, yeah, yeah. you can take me to your CrossFit class. I did one... I actually did a CrossFit retreat in Thailand. Wow. And the first CrossFit class I did... I could not walk for three days. I was like trying to sit on the toilet, like uh -huh. ah! I couldn't stand, I couldn't sit. It was absolutely monstrous. However, I caught the bug and I ended up staying for a couple of weeks. Really? And oh my God, absolutely loved it. Now I couldn't do any of it, you know, those pull-ups and stuff. I was like, absolutely not. But the guy was like, you don't need to do the pull-up straight away. We'll support you with a hoist or a the band, band or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I use bands, you know, I, you know, in a former life, I played golf and there's a handicap system in golf so and it's a system so that we're all equal so it's the same I mean there's RX in in CrossFit where you know you're doing the hardest part or whatever but I'm doing I just had a flashback there because yesterday when I was using the goblet uh, I was doing a goblet squat and I was actually had the, the red one and it's a heavy one okay and I just thought did I lift the wrong one I went no I didn't I'm actually it's doing happening. this I'm a crossfitter I love it. it I love it so the funny part of that is that I actually don't eat enough and um, I want to build muscle so my sister <laughs> said to me just eat a head of broccoli a day and that'll do it so I went and got a head of broccoli and it was sitting last night. You, you were saying like, what did you have for your tea last night? I had a head of broccoli in an air fryer with Parmesan cheese. Like that is the They're saddest lovely. thing. Oh my God, no, I, that, that's a viral TikTok trend. That's where your sisters find that one. Let me tell you. Is that right? Oh gosh, yes. Um, Parmesan cheese on anything is just a winner. Um, and of course, it's not just CrossFit. If, it, if somebody is motivated by going for a, a walk, Mm -hmm. um, yoga, going to the gym to lift weights, whatever. It's just movement. Move. Impacts your physical and mental health so much. Yeah. And as people get older, I feel like they maybe want to wind down on the physical activity. And actually, it's the time that people really need to up the ante on the physical activity. So thank Apparently you. Apparently, it's better for your libido. I, was it you that said that on another? 
I, I think it was you I was listening to, and it said that uh, lifting weights, specifically mm-hmm. lifting weights, mm-hmm. not not running, mm-hmm. you know, the long distance stuff, no, 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 but the lifting weights, and I thought, that'll do. Well, apparently, do. apparently so, and, you know, physical activity in any way, it's really good for balancing hormones, balancing mood, that is ultimately going to increase libido, if you need it. Some people are absolutely fine as they are. Yes, right. And... Um, What I am loving at the minute, speaking of, and actually, this has just made the correlation, um, a podcast that I have recommended to everybody. I've now my third time listening to it, and it's Diary of a CEO, Stephen Bartlett. Absolutely amazing. He had a doctor on recently called Dr. Mindy Pels, Mm P-E-L-Z, and she taught me about my hormones in a way that I have never been educated before. And she talks about the roller coaster of a woman's life relating to hormones. Mm -hmm. And that is from starting your period all the way up to menopause and beyond. Mm -hmm. And also for somebody at my stage of life, how different stages of the cycle can really affect your mood. And I... I wouldn't have awful PMS, but for a few days before my period, I can cry at the drop of a hat. I feel hopeless. I feel low. I feel like the world is just crashing down around me. And then three days later, my period comes and I'm like, ah, why do I not have it recorded somewhere that I know that for these three days, just be very kind to yourself, be very loving to yourself. Don't make any massive drastic decisions about jumping on a plane and flying to the other side of the world. Um, And also what you should do in your period and the days after. I just, she summed up hormones to me in a way that I'd never understood. I certainly wasn't taught it at school. And, you know, you're we talking about you're talking about your period and that's about it you're not talked about the phases and the cycles oh you got that you were lucky yeah we did we did <laughs> um, we were very, very progressive <laughs> in high school and um, and she also talks about um which i think is so important perimenopause that's something that i'm really aware of at the minute probably too aware and i maybe need to back away from it because it's stressing me out yeah perimenopause and menopause and um, she reframes, reframes everything beautifully and also she makes a brilliant point about partners not just partners and husbands and boyfriends and but also colleagues and friends being more attuned to their person's cycle and how to help them at certain times when we need it and she also talks about something that I really benefit from and that is intermittent fasting I know it's not for everybody but intermittent fasting for me has been so beneficial in life. Okay. I would eat during a kind of an eight-hour window. It what does that mean? So basically, fasting through certain periods of time helps restore your body and rejuvenate your body. Um, so when you say an eight-hour window, what do you mean? So I, l- when, l- when, l- what do you actually do? Let's make it really simple. Yeah. Don't eat breakfast. So I will start eating at twelve one. And I will stop eating at eight o'clock in the evening. Okay. Although so you, sometimes, so sometimes I try to, um, sometimes I'll stop eating at six or seven. But for the most part, I do not, I do not eat breakfast, and I feel so much better for it because I would eat breakfast and then I would feel hungry an hour later, and then I just spiraled into like 
overeating. Mm -hmm. It's worked for me. Um, that all goes out the window one day a week. So one day a week, I will have a fry up and I will eat until eat and drink until two o'clock in the morning. So that I allow myself that balance and that one day a week helps me um, not miss it so much throughout the, the other six days. But she talks about the virtues of fasting and there's different types of fasting. So there's intermittent fasting that I do, but there's so many other types and brilliant, brilliant podcast. It's some something I, I it's a podcast that I think everybody should listen uh, yeah, to. I enjoy it. Woman yeah. or man, um, really into hormones and intermittent fasting. Diary of a CEO, Dr. Mindy Pels. I'm going to share it on the show notes as well. Um, as well as the details of, of um, all your stuff. Mm -hmm. And I cannot wait to do the work with you. Mm -hmm. I am so excited. And we're going to get you back on. I'd love to come back And we're on. going to recap over everything that we've discussed. But I'm curious to see how post-work what your PMS is like and all of that. I, you see, I, I look at it from a different perspective and it'll be interesting to see what changes in all of that because the mind is connected to the body, body, mind. It's all one. And when we you know, tidy up what's in there, we'll see what happens there. Unreal. And <laughs> um, thank you so much, Deidre. It has been a pleasure and you look... Honestly, I just can't stop staring at you. You're just like, <laughs> you you're like Barbie sitting there beside me. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. It's been brilliant, Laura. Well done, you, Pat. Thank you.